District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about the organization, visit www.cfact.org. Hope everyone had a great Easter. Today, I am proud to deliver on my promise of bringing you guys my exclusive extended interviews from my trip to Florida in the greater Everglades region. It's coinciding with the release of episode four of my CFACT original video series, Conservation Nation. And this video centers around the efforts of farmers and ranchers, specifically ranchers, on how cows keep Florida green. The two ranchers that I focus on are Matt Pierce, who hosted myself and our videographer Madison Hughes on his lovely ranch, and also his cousin Brad Ferris, who runs Cow Hunters Unlimited and his own cattle operations as well in Okeechobee. You're going to learn about their stories, kind of get a full world glimpse into their work, and learn more about their role in conservation in helping to keep the greater Everglades region alive and well. First, you'll hear from Brad Ferris, then you're going to hear from Matt Pierce. Let me know what you think, and stay tuned for more Everglades-themed podcasts throughout the week. Uh, Brad Ferris, and uh, I am 7th generation cattle family here in Florida. Uh, we operate the ranch together, my mom, my two brothers and I, so it's a family-run affair. And our family's been active here since they first moved into the state, which they were one of the very first ones to move down here, one of the very first ones in this area. Um, have always prided ourselves in working in harmony with the environment uh, and kind of getting into my ancestry and looking back at where my mom's side of the family, which that's where the ranching comes from primarily. But on both sides, we go back to the British Isles and particularly the Celtic areas. And before that even, most people don't realize, but predominantly ranching in America comes from the Celtic background. Uh, they were a warrior herder society, always had cattle. So we're pretty proud to carry that on today. Obviously we've refined it and continued to work on it. But by and large, that whole society worked under the premise that you worked with the seasons, everything had a cyclical nature to it. And as long as you worked in harmony with it, you got a pretty positive result in the end. So we're pretty proud of that. Um, pretty proud of being able to continue that today. And it's something I think most people in the general public don't fully understand because we've not always done a great job of telling other people what we do. People in agriculture tend to be pretty private. Um, they're just more uh, about getting the work done than they are getting out and seeming like they're bragging about what they're doing. Um, and, and so we've had a little bit of a hurdle to get over with that and being able to share the story without feeling like we're, we're you know, shining a light on ourselves, so to speak. Um, and one way we've done that, or at least I've done that, uh, focus on trying to educate the public is through my paintings, which depict Florida ranch landscapes, uh, just Florida landscapes by themselves, and also writing, uh, published a book. Uh, our food products also focus on Florida and fresh Florida products. So everything I'm doing is about sharing the story of Florida ranching so that more and more people throughout the state and even beyond can really understand what 
ranching entails, the benefits that it offers, because let's face it, we've got over a thousand people a day moving into the state here. And if we're not out here occupying this ground, using cattle as a land management tool, then the next thing that comes along is rooftops. And I don't want to come across as no growth. We have to have some growth, but we got to have a lot smarter growth than what we've been doing. Um, and the cattle are keeping this space green. They're coexisting with the wildlife. I mean, we've seen it today as we've traveled around. We've seen deer, turkey, hogs. Um, we didn't even really get into looking at the endangered species or threatened species that we have here on this ranch. We've got burrowing owls. We've got the Florida bonneted bat, uh, crested caracara, numerous wading birds. So this is a place where wildlife has a sanctuary and they're protected. We work together with them. The deer browse, the cattle graze. They're not competing for food sources. Um, so it's, it's trying to explain that to people that don't get to see it and live it every day like we do. Another way that I've kind of expanded on that is I started a podcast a year ago and uh, through the help of the Florida Cattlemen's Foundation, they more or less underwrote the podcast to get me up and going. And now they've stepped up even more because we had a great first year. And so they're the presenting sponsor now. Podcast is called Between the Beaches Podcast, capitalizing on what we're doing out here in the interior of the state that people on the coast don't know about. And capitalizing on our rich Florida ranching heritage that's 500 years old now. So all of us have been here doing these things. It's just the fact that people don't really understand it and know about it. What would be the impact, let's say, if cattle ranching was discouraged? What would be the impact environmentally that you would like people to, to learn about? If, if it doesn't exist and if it's not contributing to land management, what would be the toll of that. Sure. Well, I mean, a perfect example of that is to look up there at Metro Orlando and the I-4 corridor. All of that area through there prior to Disney World and, and the boom that that brought to the area, all of that was native range, cattle ranches, and the water up there hit the ground and it could sit and percolate into the ground over time slowly. Mm -hmm. Now you have so much of that area that is just concrete and asphalt. Everything is rushed straight into some sort of water conveyance, whether it be a ditch or a canal, uh, retention pond, whatever. It goes there at two, three times the speed that the water used to move. So it, it gets no chance to filter any of the bad stuff out in the soil. The soil locks that stuff up, binds it up, holds it and keeps it from getting in our waterways. So now all that stuff's rushing straight in there. All of those little conveyances feed to the Kissimmee River. They're at 60 foot elevation up here, whereas here on this ranch, we're at 15 foot elevation on the shore of Lake Okeechobee. So, and then of course, with the channelization of the Kissimmee River, everything just rushes down here. Um, so back to your question, the job those ranches were doing was storing and filtering that water and allowing time for that natural filtration to take place. 
we don't have the ranches, we don't have that natural filtration and the water quality issues are just going to be amplified that much more. Talk about briefly opening up your ranch to aquaculture and how that technology will help with obviously what you just talked about with filtration. Sure. Uh, I was really excited when Mike introduced me to Nick with aquaculture and the exciting part for me and my family is the fact that this area that we're on, it used to be a, historically it was a floodplain for Lake Okeechobee. Prior to the Herbert Hoover Dyke being constructed and disrupting that natural process, water would sheet flow from the northwest coming down to the lake seasonally. In the summertime, it would be very wet. The lake would expand its footprint and most of where we're at would be partially underwater. Summer months, the lake would recede and it would leave behind all that vegetation, that floating aquatic vegetation to settle here and decay into the soil and build up soil composition. It was a natural process. In conjunction with that, our family would move into this area, push cows in here during those dry months to graze cattle on it, helping export nutrients because cattle are a nutrient exporter. The research backs it up. And so they would graze here during the dry time, then drive the cattle further upland during the wet months when the water returned. And so again, just more of that natural cycle working in harmony with what's around you and sticking with the more natural type processes. So agriculture to me is gonna give us a chance to reestablish that natural process despite the disruption of the Herbert Hoover Dyke and the Rim Canal over here. We'll be able to move some of that nutrient off of the lake onto the landscape here where we'll bind it up in hay, bind it up in the tissue of the cattle and export them out of here and out of the watershed. So Matt, talk about being a Florida cattle rancher and what you enjoy much about the profession and what people get wrong about the profession. Okay, I'm a sixth generation Florida rancher. Uh, my family's born and raised here along the Kissimmee River shores, the west, western side of Kissimmee River. And um, that's kind of all I've known, um, you know, as we were raised uh, ranching along the western shore and uh, caring for wildlife, uh, the cattle, um, raised up, you know, as a kid in it, and I'm raising three of my kids in in the ranching aspect now. But um, what what I enjoy most about is being in nature, being uh, with the wildlife, and then handling the cattle because it's always a struggle. They're they're uh, they're domesticated animals, but they don't always do what you want them to do. So that's part of the challenge. And um, you know, we we have a love for nature and what we encounter every day, whether it be duck, the duck population, the wild quail population here that you can hear whistling in the background, or, uh, or even wild hogs that are a nuisance to the deer population, you know, to all, all the species that use this land that, that we share with, um, you know, it's a benefit. Uh, and, and it benefits the people that live in town as the green spaces that, that ranchers provide uh, at no cost to the taxpayer. You know, it's, it's, we, we store water on our property, we filter water before it goes into the river and tributaries, and we hold a lot of water on on the premise that doesn't go into Lake Okeechobee, um, that gets evaporated or, or goes back in the aquifer. Uh, and that's probably the biggest misperception that folks have is that we're out here uh, making millions and millions of dollars off of the land and abusing it 
and uh, and and not taking care of it, and and that's kind of hurtful in a way. It's it's a tone that that uh, as growing up, you know, I I tell people I was born with a sword in my hand, and that sword is what we defend our industry with um, to the people that don't know that that live in town that may drop, travel the turnpike or I seventy five or I ninety five, and don't get to see the the ranching aspect of what we do with wildlife and water and uh and that same sword that we defend with uh was passed along to my kids they were born with that same sword in their hand to hopefully the next generation defends the agriculture basis like like we are um, because we're we're only one generation away from losing a lot of this land with a thousand people a day coming to florida uh that they have to live somewhere and and this is where they want to live in the the uh, in, in the beautiful ranch lands that have got hammocks and streams and and uh, wildlife, but a lot of that's getting displaced. So conservation easements are, are a big deal in what what we do, and that that's kind of what we advocate. Explain a little bit more about conservation easements and how I think a phrase you told me when we first got connected was cows keep Florida green. Explain how, why that is the case and how it's not an oxymoron because probably some environmentalists hears that term and they're like, well, no, cows are the biggest contributor for carbon emissions, et cetera. So how do you refute that? And yeah, so um, conservation easements, uh, the way we promote them in Florida would be like the, the Rural Family Lands Program, which, which pays for the easement into perpetuity. So there never can be any development. So take this place, I may take, uh, if I wanted to build a home site, you, you etch that out, but, but most of them are 100% easement. And, and into perpetuity, that means forever. I mean, that, that my kids, your kids, everybody's kids and grandkids will, will get to enjoy it. And uh, I, I'm under the, the, the concept that if we're building X amount of acres in, in development, we need to be taking this same amount of acreage in conservation or the tables get imbalanced. But, but um, to, to get back to your question of what, what people think about a conservation easement is that it, it, it stimulates the economy because you've still got ranching on the community on, on the landscape so that money is generated in town uh, we take calves and we ship them west and we get outside money that comes back into the state which is positive um, we're, we're taking care of the land uh, cheaper than if you know the alternative is the state just comes in and buys the property well then they have that debt load that's taxpayer money that they have full value on fee value and then they have to manage this, whether it be with fire or with herbicides or, or manage it because they're going to take cattle off of it, you know, it, and that would be the negative. We use cattle as a tool. I mean, I told you earlier today that cattle are almost secondary in what we do. We're trying to branch out in ecotourism and bird watching and, um, and, and you know, showing what we have to the public. But uh, we're, we're environmentalists. We're conservationists. Uh, we're, we're trying to contribute as little to the land in, in return for a longevity of, of uh, generations to come. What I mean by that is we're not putting bad things on the land to, to get 100% return out of it. We're, we're, uh, we're, we're doing minimal uh, management practices to, that, that, that aren't invasive, if, if that makes sense. And, and then um, if, if it's not in ranch lands, it's in rooftops. And so even the thousand people a day, when they move in here and they close their door the first day, they don't want the next thousand people moving in, taking what, you know, the, what they're as, as now a, a local. Um, so, 
you know, people have got to live somewhere and, and we're just trying to preserve as much uh, to set aside from growth. And talk about Old Florida and why it's known as Cowtown or kind of the agriculture hub of Florida. Yeah, so that's a, that's a good question. So we're celebrating 500 years of cattle grazing in Florida. In 1521, Ponce de Leon brought the first cattle over here. And actually there was, and I didn't know this until this year, that he brought seven bulls. And those bulls were to do the work, you know, to pull that like that they were Andalusian cattle, but they were like the oxen or, or, um, or, or the tractors nowadays. They tilled the ground. And then once he saw that they would survive, he brought cows over, which as the Spaniards uh, set their colonies up, they had these groups of cattle around in wild Florida in the Palmettas. And so to fast forward, as the Spanish moved out and Florida became a colony uh, or, or part of the United States, eventually uh, those cattle were left behind. So they just roamed free. And then you had people coming down, like my family from out of Georgia, or they followed the Appalachian Trail and they came into Florida and, and they were cow hunters. And uh, what I mean by that is they went in the woods and they hunted the cows that were um, there roaming free. And so you had that going on in the 1800s uh, more so and, and people were gathering up cattle and, and settling. And my family, like I said, grazed from the lake shore of Okeechobee, the west side, uh, all the way up to Fort Bassinger. And, uh, and, and that was, they were kind of nomads. They, they moved those cattle back and forth. As the water would rise in the lake, they would move upland, up the river. And uh, they managed a lot of that forage that uh, is, is herbicided today, you know. So, Talk about some of the unique species besides the various different breed of cows that you have here. So what are some endangered species? What are some species people who visit the farm, or excuse me, who visit the ranch, <laughs> ranch uh, notice when they come here? Okay, so species you're proud of yeah. existing with your cattle operation. So cattle are complementary to wildlife. Um, I've seen some state properties, and, and nothing against the state. They just don't have the resources to manage the land. So when when you take cattle off of a property, uh, the wildlife kind of goes away too because the cattle build trails that the wildlife are, are secondary. They use those, but the cattle are the dominant species to change the landscape, not in competition because. Like, for example, a cow will eat grass where a white-tailed deer will eat weeds. Cattle don't eat weeds. You know, they, they complement each other. So they, they move across the landscape together. Uh, gopher tur turtles, tortoises are, are a big thing that I, li I like to see because they say they're, um, I think the term is a sentinel species. or uh, so, so there's so many other species that use their burrows. Um, and I can remember a time when uh, the connotation was that they're bad for the environment because they're endangered. So if you have one on your property, you don't want anybody to know about it because they might come and take your property. Mm -hmm. and, and that's far from the truth. And, and nowadays we take pride in that and we take pictures and share those with, uh, with our social media platforms because we want people to know that that's where they're living. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you have all this development and, and they're taking this habitat and those animals are, are coming more on the ranch landscape and living. But we have bald eagles on, on the ranch. Uh, it's pretty neat. Um, as I like to think I'm patriotic. So when you see a bald eagle, you stop and, and it, you know, you just kind of not, you're, you're almost mesmerized by their stature and, and their, their, uh, their, the heritage of the eagle. And then uh, we have the crested caracara, uh, a lot of alligators, 
Um, and then, you know, your normal turkeys, hogs, deer. Um, but, but there's all kinds of species. The wild quails made a comeback here on the ranch, uh, but, but um, all of it. I mean, uh, from the armadillos to the fox squirrels, you know, there's just a lot of wildlife that inhabits and, and they, they follow the cattle and, and they, they feed w with the cattle, they feed off of them. Any final thing you want to add about kind of just the greater scheme of everything being at play, conservation? Yeah, so um, the one correlation that, that I like to draw, and, and it doesn't get explained by me very well, but, but so if you would take, and, and if you would go back seven generations to when your seventh great-grandfather, whatever, built his home, and then when he passed away, he, he handed it to the next person, and then all of a sudden, seven generations, you're in the same home. And this isn't the way the world works nowadays, but, but this is the way the ranching community works. It's passed down from generation to generation, and, and you almost have to fight with that sword to keep it. Um, it's an obligation. But, but if my family would have misused, like the perception is, people think that we're out here you know, tearing up the ground and abusing it and, and doing bad things, it wouldn't have made it seven generations. And then I wouldn't be tearing that house down because I know my kids are gonna have to live in that same house for another generation and my grandkids. And, and that, that's the way I try to explain it to folks. So you have to keep the plumbing up, you have to keep uh, the electrical up, you have to keep the foundation right. And uh, if you don't, if you alter any of those or you mess them up, then the next generation uh, won't have that and, and it may end up rooftops. Cool. I think that we have all the bases covered for our Excellent. script. A lot of good content. Good. So eloquent as always. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for tuning to Monday's episode of District of Conservation. Parts two and three of our Keepers of the Everglades series will be out on Tuesday and Wednesday, respectively. You'll hear from a few people, gladesmen, Native American tribes, and also water activists who do their part to help keep Florida safe and help keep water quality issues on the minds of people. As always, I direct you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor a guest announcement. Find us on all platforms out there. And if you're on Apple, go leave us some five-star reviews. We'd be grateful if you did. Stay tuned for more episodes. And thank you so much for listening. Share the good word with your friends and stay engaged with us.